Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are going to jump into our Bible study this morning. I do encourage you to grab your Bibles now and turn with me to Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> Luke chapter 19. And just a heads up, we are going to be partaking of communion uh, this morning as well. It's the first of the month. We usually uh, partake of communion together on the first Sunday of the month, but I it's a great Sunday to do that as we're uh, kind of reading and studying and, and, and celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry as the coming king. In fact, uh, Palm Sunday is traditionally held the Sunday before Easter, and it really is focusing in on that last week of Jesus' life on earth and his, and his ministry. Obviously, uh, in tracking through the Gospels and reading the stories up until this point, we know that Jesus was faithful to the will of the Father. He was uh, preaching and teaching and healing and ministering to, by this point, uh, multitudes of people. And yet he received a lot of uh, persecution and opposition by the religious rulers. And by this point, uh, most of them are trying to destroy Jesus and penetrate his inner circle of apostles and disciples so that they can find a way to betray Jesus. And they ultimately will through Judas. But uh, in Luke chapter 19, we really are introduced to this hope of salvation. In fact, that's the, the title of the message today because we're focusing in on the hope of this coming king. Uh, one of the names and titles of Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem in this text, we see that many people have a messianic uh, approach. They, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that word Messiah is super packed with a lot of meaning when you look at the Old Testament, particularly for the Jewish people. It means the Christ or the anointed one, the one who would be the deliverer, who would come and establish the, uh, the reign and the kingdom of God on earth. And so uh, many people are, are praising and, and celebrating and worshiping, and rightly so, because as the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus deserves all of our praise. And yet Jesus was on um, a slightly different mission when he entered into Jerusalem that day. And that brings us to the main point of our study this morning. And that is that Jesus brings hopeful salvation as a humble servant. There's a wonderful verse in Philippians chapter 2 that encourages us to have the mind of Christ, which is the heart and the mind of humility, that Jesus was being equal with God, did not consider it robbery to, to, be, to, to take that divinity away from him, but humbled himself and uh, came in the likeness of men and became a bondservant even until the point of death. This really is the picture of Jesus' humanity as well as his humility. But then you go on and you see at the end of those verses in Philippians chapter 2 where because of this, Jesus has been exalted. And at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess. And so there is hopeful salvation, hope in a future salvation, a deliverance 
not only deliverance from oppression, but also deliverance from, from sin. And that ultimately is what Jesus has come to do, to bring salvation to souls. And as Jesus is drawing near to the cross, ultimately he's drawing near to the lost. Those who are broken and those who are wandering and those who are away from God as he draws near. In fact, that's uh, one of the phrases that is used three times in these verses that we're going to read this morning. Jesus drawing near. And I just love that because in a crowd this size and, you know, there's so many things that are going on in our lives that, you know, we don't, um, we don't uh, really know about. And yet God does. And there's a wonderful scripture verse that says that God draws near to those who have a broken and contrite spirit. And many times there's things that are going on in our lives just below the surface that is just so crushing and so difficult and so challenging. And yet God is drawing near. He's he's sitting down in the midst of that despair and he's giving us his comfort. And I do hope and pray that you would experience that today as we study God's word and as we get around fellowship one another. So that brings us to our text, which is outlined in very simple ways for us. Uh, First, we're gonna see Jesus make preparations to go into Jerusalem and ultimately he's fulfilling prophecy in the Old Testament. Second, we're gonna see Jesus receive praise by the crowd as he enters into Jerusalem. Third, we're going to see Jesus weep over an entire city, which is pretty remarkable, because we only see Jesus weep two times in the scriptures, and uh, that speaks of Jesus' emotion. He weeps at a funeral, and he weeps in this moment as um, he's overcome by emotion at uh, the funeral of Lazarus, and he shares that grief with the family as they're grieving the loss of their loved one, Lazarus, who's in the grave. But uh, it was at that funeral when Jesus wept that there was a resurrection, which is pretty remarkable. And just prior to Jesus' resurrection, here he is weeping again. Why is that? Because people don't understand the peace that Jesus has come to bring. And so uh, we see him bring this peace. And then lastly, we're going to see Jesus um, enter the temple as the high priest, the one who is our mediator and our advocate, the one who gives us access to all of those great things we just sang about in our worship time, the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God. So let's jump into our text this morning. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 28, says that when Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now that's Obviously, in the context of the previous verses, he was giving a parable about um, being a a good steward of the things that God has entrusted us, and he uses uh, a parable or a story or analogy of of a king who gives these treasures or talents to somebody. He goes away for a period of time, and then he comes back to square accounts, because many people were thinking that the kingdom of heaven was going to be established right then and right, right, right now, and so Jesus was giving this analogy to say, be a wise steward until that time comes. And he says, he went on going up to Jerusalem and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany in the mount uh, called all of that, that he sent two of his disciples. Everyone say, draw near. So this is the first time that this phrase is mentioned three times in these verses 28 through 48. He drew near, he's drawing near to Jerusalem. And uh, we know that uh, as he was going to Jerusalem, there weren't a lot of people who were excited to see him. This was actually during the Passover, so there was a lot of people, a lot of religious fervor that was happening in the city. Many pilgrims that were coming to celebrate the Passover 
uh, in Jerusalem. And so a lot of religious uh, focus and emphasis in the city at this time. And uh, those religious leaders were not pleased with Jesus. That's an understatement. So uh, in verse 30, Jesus says, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt, it's like a donkey, tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. That's kind of like the old Jedi mind trick right there, right? It's the Lord Jesus has need of it. That's a, that's a good way to see, you know, just God do his thing, right? Um, which is pretty cool. When God says something, it's going to happen the way he says it. Because look in verse 32. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. That's a, just a kind of a life principle uh, outside of the context of this verse. But just when God speaks to you and he's leading you and he's guiding you, you can trust what he says to you that you will find everything the way that Jesus says it should be. Uh, He's not going to lead you astray. He's not going to lie to you. He's not going to betray you. And so the disciples experience the same thing. They find it just as he had said. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And he said, the Lord has need of him. And when they brought him to Jesus, they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him, And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So this is kind of gearing up for that famous passage that says, you know, the people are praising, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus here is making the preparations, and ultimately it is in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. But there's a couple of uh, unique uh, things that are happening here. First is this phrase, as I mentioned in the beginning, drawing near. Uh, Jesus knew full well what he was drawing near to. As he was going into Jerusalem, there were many people who wanted to kill him and betray him and, uh, and destroy him. And yet, there's another uh, verse in the Bible that says that, actually Jesus said of himself, no one takes my life from me, but I freely lay it down. And so Jesus knew from the very beginning that his mission was to sacrifice his life. His mission was suffering. In fact, you remember what Je- one of the first things that Jesus did after he resurrected from the dead? He met with a couple of his disciples and he gave them a Bible study. And I wish that was on podcast today because I would have loved to hear it. Uh, because he went through all the prophets and the law and the Psalms and he showed the disciples all the scriptures that spoke of the Messiah's <clears throat> suffering and of Jesus himself. So all the scriptures should point to the person of Jesus Christ. Whether it's in the Old Testament, it's Jesus Christ concealed in the prophets and the Psalms and, uh, and, and, and the law. Uh, but in the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ revealed, ultimately fulfilling that. So Jesus willingly and knowingly embraced suffering and extreme danger. And that speaks to his love. You remember also when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying in agony before his betrayal and before his crucifixion that uh, he was praying to his father with great drops of blood coming from his brow. If there's any other way, uh, let this cup pass from me. What's the other way? What is he talking about? The way. Well, the way is to ensure salvation. The way is to reconcile sinful man to a holy God. The way is to... uh, give this compassion and and forgiveness to to people. The way is the way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is saying, if there's any other way, 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was submissive to the will of the Father. And as he's drawing closer, he's drawing near to suffering. He's drawing near to pain. There's another verse. Again, there's so many verses come to mind as I am thinking afresh of these um, of this chapter with Easter uh, approaching, but uh, they talk about the joy that was set before Jesus. He endured the cross and despising the shame and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sitting down is a picture of it is finished, and that's one of the words that Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. There's nothing more that we can add to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's done it all. It's just to receive. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved to receive the free gift of salvation. It's the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we can be reconciled, right? And so this is, there's no joy in the crucifixion. In fact, the, the, the cross is a picture of excruciating pain, but Jesus, when he's spread on that cross, is a picture of extravagant love, love for you and I. That Jesus came here into Jerusalem, not to establish a kingdom, but to be extended fully upon a cross. To demonstrate that love for us in this, while Christ died on the cross, we were still sinners. So this is his great love, he's drawing near. But we also see him on a donkey, on a colt. This really is in fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament that symbolizes Jesus' humility and Jesus' peace. In fact, it's from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice, your king is coming lowly and riding on a donkey. Now, you would imagine that a king would come with chariots and with uh, armies and decked out in his armor, and everyone would know this is the king. Wow, just this great pomp and circumstance and uh, big event that's happening as the king is coming. But Jesus is not coming that way. He comes lowly and humbly on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy, drawing near, a picture of <clears throat> his humility and of his peace coming for you and I. Now, what, how does the crowd respond? We see that in verse 37. Look with me there. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the, of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying. So what they have seen, what they have experienced, turned into praise for God. I think that's kind of a really cool side note, just in the sense of our worship. Sometimes I think, you know, if we're familiar with a song or we've sung something over and over again, our words can be moving, but we're, we're still thinking about the Aztec game <laughs> or we're thinking about the Padre game or we're thinking about something else. And to really have our minds and our hearts and our mouths connected in worship, they are seeing the mighty works of God and the healings and the miracles and all these cool things. And they're responding to that with this praise from their lips. And, you know, the Bible says that it'd be hypocritical to have praise from our lips, but to have our hearts far from God. We don't want to be like that. So they see the good works and they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. There's a wonderful praise song right there. Contemporary praise and worship right in the Bible. We can do it. And uh, they're singing, in fact, they're singing Psalm 118. It's a direct quote and reference. And in the previous verse, it's not mentioned uh, here in, 
in Luke, but it talks about how the psalmist was saying, save now, I pray, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King is coming. So this was, again, a picture of the Messiah, the deliverer, salvation. And some of the Pharisees, verse 39, called to him from the crowd, saying, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They knew what was being said. They knew that they were attributing the messianic title to Jesus. And they said, this is blasphemy. In fact, that's the one thing that they were able to accuse Jesus of when he was standing before the mock trial in the middle of the night. Who do you say that you are? And Jesus here is being celebrated as the Messiah and the religious rulers are saying, this is blasphemy, this can't happen, this can't be the case. And these are the very ones who knew the scriptures, who read the Bible, who should have anticipated 483 years from the time of Daniel's prophecy that the king would be coming into Jerusalem, who would know the fulfillment of prophecy and the scriptures, being able to wait. Now, we see the fulfillment of prophecy all the way throughout Jesus' life, particularly when even in his birth, because um, Herod brought all the religious rulers together and they said, where is the Messiah? Where is the king to be born? And they searched the scripture and they said, well, in, um, in Bethlehem. So they knew where to find Jesus, the Messiah, when he would be born. They knew where to meet Jesus when he would come as a, the one celebrated. But they were cursing. They were rebelling. They were fighting against. That's a picture of somebody who knows the scriptures, but their heart is far from God. And they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So there you go, rock and roll. There it is. Jesus, listen to it. Right in the scriptures, verse 40. Rock and roll. That would have been a pretty cool rock concert, wouldn't it? Rock and roll concert. If people were silent during that time, the rocks would have just, that's electric guitar, Jason, that, you know, just keep that electric guitar going. All these creation, Right? He's talking about creation. Creation knows who Jesus is. The, um, the soldiers knew who Jesus was when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden and said, who are you seeking? I am, and they all fell backwards. Creation knows because Jesus was in all and through all and by all. All things were created and exist and have their being. Stones, it wouldn't be a difficult thing for the stones to cry out. And it's not a difficult thing for human beings to cry out and to worship and pray. So, We're going to pause there as Jesus receives praise as the coming king, and rightly so. This praise is given in direct fulfillment of Psalm 118. As I mentioned earlier, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are expecting the the kingdom to be established. They're expecting to be delivered from their oppressors. They're expecting the Christ and the Messiah. Yes, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, but Jesus knew that he must accept the cross before acquiring the crown. He, is, has, he, has, he has the right to both of those, the cross as well as the crown. But before he received the crown, he had to accept the cross. And in the cross, there is that suffering and there is that pain. So in many ways, as he is the conquering king, he's also the suffering servant. There's scriptures in the Old Testament In uh, Isaiah chapter 53, that Jesus was wounded for our iniquities and by his stripes or his beatings, we are healed. Now, what's pretty remarkable about Psalm 118, if you go back and you look at it, 
you'll see that the following verse, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the following verse after that says, bind up the sacrifice with cords to the altar. And that's pretty remarkable because sacrifice was a picture of worship in the Old Testament. And the place of worship was the temple. And the holiest place of worship was uh, on the altar, the, the holy of holies. And the, the animals were sacrificed and their, their blood was, was sprinkled upon the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, if you've seen uh, Indiana Jones, well, you know what it is. Uh, or if you've read the Bible, that's our source of the Ark of the Covenant. It's a little box that was walked around with poles, and it was the place of the mercy seat. In fact, they had cherubim that uh, angels would, uh, were cast in, in gold, and their wings were spread towards one another. And uh, at the bottom of that was the mercy seat, which... Uh, is a picture of God's mercy, not only his judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, but the mercy seat, because the, the, the judgment of God was poured out upon Jesus on the cross so that you and I could receive his mercy. And that's the picture of love. And so the animal sacrifices, their blood was sprinkled upon the mercy seat, uh, which is a picture of the sinless, pure, sacrifice of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And by his stripes and by his death, we are healed. He's healed our iniquities and he was wounded for our our iniquities. And so binding up the sacrifice is once again another picture of Jesus being bound for you and I. In just a few minutes, we're going to partake of communion and we're going to hold elements in our hands, bread and, and juice, which are a reminder, are a symbol of that sacrifice for us on the cross. And I hope that as we partake of that together, uh, we would all experience and express our gratefulness for what Jesus Christ has done for us as our suffering servant coming as the king as well. So they're praising, but not too long from now, they'll also be cursing. So, So some people are praising, some people will curse Jesus as they look up on the cross and curse him. Some people are saying, come, Save, come, deliver. Others will cry, crucify him. Uh, Some people are laying down their clothes and laying down branches for Jesus to enter into Jerusalem. Other people will take Jesus' clothes and rip them from his beaten and bruised body. Some people will say and praise and worship, save us, deliver us. Other people will walk by Jesus hung on the cross, uh, shaking their head saying, save yourself. So these are all the different emotions that Jesus is experiencing from other people and yet he is so focused. There's another scripture that talks about Jesus. Set his face to Jerusalem and to the cross of suffering. And why is this even, why did this even take place? Well, we're told that in the following verse. Look at verse 41. And now as Jesus drew near, everyone say drew near. Okay, so this is the third time. The first, he's drawing near to suffering in Jerusalem. The second, he's drawing near to receive the praise that he is due. And the third, he's drawing near to weep over those who are lost. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Everyone say wept. Now this is pretty intense. It's an emotional uh, cry from Jesus. The idea here is intense, emotional, brokenheartedness. And notice he's looking over a city. That's pretty remarkable because in a city it's full of people. And Jesus has the ability to not only see crowds of people and have compassion on people, as the scripture says that you know people are lost without a shepherd, 
but uh, he also has compassion on individuals. He can see an entire crowd, such as this crowd today, but he can zero in right on you and where you're at and what's going on in your life, and he can extend that compassion for you. Even though you might be in a crowd, you, you could feel kind of alone. I've experienced that before from time to time. You could be in a crowd. You could even be sitting next to somebody. You could feel really alone, and yet, uh, you know, you're not alone because God says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And, and God sees and, and knows you very intimately. And so Jesus here, he draws near. He weeps over the city. Why is he weeping? We're told in verse 42. If you had known, even especially in this your day, the things that would make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. So this is a a fulfillment that would come later on when the city of Jerusalem is sieged, ransacked, and destroyed. Verse 44, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. That's pretty remarkable, the time of Jesus' visitation. I don't know uh, how you prepare for visitors at your house. Obviously, you're going to clean it and uh, you're going to make it look pretty. You're going to dust it. Uh, you're going to put out all the nice stuff. You're going to tell your kids, don't touch that. Clean that up. We have four kids, so nothing stays clean. And we have, I don't know, 30 barn animals. So uh, absolutely nothing stays clean. Uh, dust and dirt and mud and grime everywhere. But when you have a special visitor, whoa, you just pull out all the stops, don't you? And you make them feel welcome. And you want, you want them to, to enjoy their stay. And Jesus here is visiting a city that he loves dearly. And a city is full of people that are lost. And he's broken over the loss. He's broken over the fact that many people in this city do not know the hour of his visitation. And what would make for their, key word here, this is important, listen up, for their peace. Many people are looking for peace in all the wrong places. It sounds like a song, I don't know. But uh, looking for peace. If I could just have a sense of peace in my life, I could just... Things would calm down if, if, uh, if the, the worry and the stress and the anxiety, if I could just relieve that somehow. I know many years of my life I tried to self-medicate the turmoil that was going on in my life through drugs, through alcohol, through various things. I was trying to numb the pain and uh, trying to search for peace. Peace that passes all understanding, the Bible says, God will give. In fact, one of the titles of Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And Jesus says, peace I give you, peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives peace. That was worldly peace. That was Sherwood's peace. That was was a way to try to just, that was a temporary peace. But the, the turmoil in my heart remained until I surrendered my life to the Prince of Peace. And then the then that turbulence was calmed. It was like Jesus on the Sea of Galilee with the storm raging around and just in one word saying, peace, be still. And it was silent, peaceful. And he also turned to his disciples, you can have peace as well. And the hour of Jesus' visitation was during this time in first century Jewish culture, as he's entering into Jerusalem, fulfilling prophecy. But let me encourage you, do not miss this hour. Don't miss this one hour. 
We're not guaranteed the next hour or the next minute or the next 10 minutes. But you can experience the peace of God right now. As he would weep over your heart, over your life. As he would sit down in the midst of your despair and cry tears of intense emotional brokenheartedness over what is breaking your heart. As he would draw near to you in your pain. This is the Prince of Peace. This is the lover of your soul. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the suffering servant. This is the payment that is being made on behalf of the forgiveness of our sins. The blood of the cross is the payment for our peace. That Jesus wept, Jesus bled, Jesus died, Jesus resurrected in order to wipe away the stain of sin in our lives. The prophecies are fulfilled. The hour has come. The moment is now. The person is you. He draws near to you. He loves you. And you can experience that forgiveness by receiving it freely, his grace. And, um, and I'll say in closing, how do we do that? Well, we do that because what Jesus has become. So he has come to give us peace, but he has become the high priest of our souls. And uh, we'll close in verse 49. And then Jesus went into the temple and he began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And uh, he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy Jesus, and they were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. The, the temple was the most sacred place. It was a place where God's presence met with his people. People would go to the temple to experience the presence of God, to hear the teaching of God. In many ways, it's similar uh, even for us to come to church, although you don't have to go to church to have the presence of God in your life. But God has designed the church to be the place where we would have fellowship and grow and, and be nurtured in our relationship with one another as well as our relationship with God. But Jesus here enters into the temple, and it's pretty remarkable because the scriptures tell us that Jesus is our great high priest. He's our advocate. There's only one person that could go into the Holy of Holies where the mercy seat was. He was a great high priest once a year. There was this large veil that kept out anybody from going in and out. And what happened when Jesus was crucified on the cross is that that veil was torn from top down to the bottom, signifying that now we have access into the throne room of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need. Jesus gives us access into the mercy and the compassion of God. We now, as our great high priest, the veil is torn, that Christ is giving us that access to the mercy as our advocate. Jesus is the high priest. And we now can come into the presence of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So I'm gonna have our worship team come on up and uh, we are gonna trans transition just a bit into not only worship, but also into partaking of, of communion this morning. And I want you to stay with me here because uh, I think this is very important to see both of these things, actually all of this, tied together in Jesus, not only fulfilling prophecy. So number one, you can trust the Bible. Uh, number two, Jesus receiving praise that uh, we can lift our voices and our hearts in adoration and worship and praise uh, for what God has done for us. And sec uh, excuse me, thirdly, um, focusing in on his peace. 
this peace of God. Do you have the peace of God in your life? I want to encourage you as we partake of communion, as we close our service today, that you can receive that peace by receiving his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, this peace that passes all understanding. You see, the gospel, what we've described and presented here this morning in these verses, the gospel is free of charge to you. It's free of charge to you. There's not a lot that's free in this world. Uh, And as my friend would always say, if it's free, it's for me. So I like free. I think we all like free. But the gospel is free of charge to you. But listen, here's the catch. But it costs Jesus everything. And because it costs God everything, Jesus, God, dying for you, it means that you are so very precious and valuable to him. And he wants a relationship with you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, to be given as the propitiation penalty, a sacrifice for us really blows us away that God became flesh and dwelt among us that God hung on a cross for our sins to reconcile us and I pray for anyone in this room or those who are watching online just in the quietness of your own heart if God has spoken to you about your relationship with him, maybe you've been walking away from God or you've been wandering from him now is the time. Today is the day. It's the, uh, it's the uh, moment of God's visitation, of Jesus' visitation in your life. Accept the visitation. As I was saying earlier, we try to get all cleaned up for our visitors. Well, the cool thing about the gospel is you don't have to clean anything up. You come to him just the way you are. All the dust bunnies, the mud, the dirt, the hamper full of dirty clothes. You see, all of us have dirty clothes when we stand before a holy God. But that's where the detergent of Jesus' blood washes, makes us as white as snow. I pray and hope that you wouldn't leave this place without ensuring the forgiveness of your sin. You can do that by saying, God, forgive me. I repent of my sin. Wash me. Cleanse me. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for me. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he was buried in the grave and rose three days later, giving victory and power over sin and death. And I believe in the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. Fill my life with your Holy Spirit. Make me new, born again. God, I love you. I thank you. And Christian, maybe, as we partake of communion, as the Bible tells us to do, to examine our hearts and our lives. You see, Jesus went into the temple and he cleaned out things that were not pleasing to him. And now the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is there anything that Jesus needs to come in to your heart and life and start to clean out? Let them do that work as we partake of communion today. We love you, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. 
please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.